Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. I am so excited to be here with you guys. It is awesome. My name is Tim, if you haven't heard already, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are so pumped to finally be able to call this home. And so um, we love being here. We're excited about being here. And I first want to start off by thanking all of our leaders for helping carry the load in this time of transition. Thank you, Jeff, for being the interim campus pastor. As you guys already heard and you guys already know, Joel has done a ton of preaching. In fact, he's preaching right now in Vestal, um, Reed, Mason, Don, Stan, Christian, Kelly, all of our leaders have been doing so much work. I know there's a ton of leaders who do things behind the scenes, and as your pastor, I am really, really thankful for all that you guys have done to kind of step in the gap and carry a ton of weight. And um, we're thankful for all of you guys who have helped get our house ready in Halstead, uh, for those who brought food, for those who brought meals, toys and candy and sleds for our kids and games. They just, they were just amazed and overwhelmed with how much you guys have really loved on us. And so we have really felt loved by Bridgewater. So thank you. Um, if you're new here, I'm new here too, so welcome. We're excited you're here, and uh, it's going to take me a while to learn some of you guys' names and put names with faces, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys, and today we are kicking off our Christmas series, so I'm excited about that, and uh, as we start, I want to ask you a question. How many of you love to wait? <laughs> no one loves to wait. Yeah, I- I'm kind of like you, right? If you remember, back in September, um, I accepted the position of campus pastor here, and shortly after that, we began looking for housing in New York, and we ran into a ton of student housing, lots of frat houses, 10 bedrooms, five bathrooms, really, really interesting decorations, and uh, that's great. If you're a student uh, at the university, that's awesome, but that wasn't for, for us. That wasn't what we were looking for. In fact, one time I found an apartment, and it, it was listed as $500 a month. I was like, yes. And then I looked into it, and it was per room. I was like, $3,000 for this house. There's no way we could afford that. And we, we began looking on Facebook, Facebook Marketplace, and I would uh, inquire about different properties and talk to different landlords and property managers. And sometimes I would get no answer at all. Or the answer I would get about a question wouldn't even have anything to do with the question I would ask. And I remember I ran into a couple of scams on Craigslist. I think there was a few people, a few uh, Nigerian princes looking for help, and they were offering homes for rent. And it was like roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and we were waiting, and we were waiting, and we were waiting. And it just felt like an eternity. It felt like we had kind of been placed in this penalty box, and we had no idea when we were going to be let out. And we were waiting physically, we were waiting spiritually, waiting emotionally, and it was hard. There was so much working on inside of me. Worry, angst, fear, frustration was all like stirring up and Sometimes we thought, okay, this is it. This is going to be a place we're going to land and and then nope. And and then this is going to be a place we might land and then nope. And it it just kind of felt like it went on and on. And we would would pray. Have you ever prayed and asked God to do something? Ask God to show up and then you're kind of 
feeling a little bit of radio silence. That's how we felt. We were, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And I know you guys have been waiting. Like you guys have been waiting way longer than we have. You guys have been waiting 14 months for a campus pastor. And the reality is, we don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. You don't like to wait. That's just something we don't like to do. And I wonder, have you ever thought about why it is that God sets up certain conditions in our lives to force us to wait? Have you ever wondered why God uses waiting or how he uses waiting in our lives? Well, this morning, we're going to talk about how we wait well. We're going to talk about what does it look like to, to wait on God. So if you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And I pray that today's message would really encourage you and would, would, would breathe just encouragement and hope into your heart. So Isaiah chapter 7, the story starts with a king who is surrounded by his enemies. This is a king who is filled in a season of great difficulty. He has made choices that are going to determine whether he is going to live or die. He is making choices not for just hundreds but thousands of people, whether they are going to live or die. And he is in a really difficult time. It's 735 B.C., over 2,000 years ago, and Israel is in, has been divided by a civil war. There's, there's the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom is mostly bad, and the southern kingdom is really, really bad. The southern kingdom is, is ruled by a guy named Ahaz. That's the guy that we're going to talk about today. So, at this point, Isaiah comes to Ahaz. He's a young man, and spoiler alert, Ahaz is going to make some of the worst decisions ever, and there are several other empires that take place. Let me show you a map real quick. Here's what's going on. So here we have Assyria, Syria, and Egypt. Egypt has kind of collected or gathered some other smaller nations to be a part of their, their posse, right? They see Assyria as a huge threat, an economic threat, a military threat, and so they've started gathering their friends, gathering a group, say, okay, we're going to go and take out Assyria. And as they do that, they recruit the northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom says No. Southern Kingdom, where Ahaz is, says, you know what? We're going to partner with Assyria. And Egypt says, hey, you're either for us or against us. And that's where we are. Isaiah chapter 7. Ahaz has gotten bed with the enemy. He's made a deal. And now things are going really, really badly for him. Isaiah chapter 7. If you haven't found it in your Bibles, find Psalms, go to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah. Here we are. Verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Razan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. 
but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. So the northern kingdom and Syria, they team up to attack Judah. And Ahaz is there, and he is absolutely terrified because his, he knows that his life is on the line. He knows that if things go badly, he is going to be overrun. He may die, his family may die, his friends may die. And so he's out there checking out the wall, checking out the aqueduct, making sure that everything is secure because he is absolutely terrified. Have you ever been there? Has everything in your life kind of started stirring around or, or become so overwhelming, so daunting that you're actually feeling scared or worried and you're wondering, is this going to work out? What's going to happen? So he knows they want to conquer him, likely put in a new king, he has embraced the Assyrian gods. And here's the message from God to Ahaz. Look at verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Razan, and Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin. The word to Ahaz is don't get so worked up over your enemies. It's not that the threat is not real. It is. They are coming for him. But what God says is don't sweat it. They're like smoldering sticks. You ever had a bonfire and you're starting to wrap up, you're about to go inside, and the bonfire's starting to die down, and what's left? Just some coals, some ash, some small sticks. Maybe they look big, but if you kind of push them, they kind of fold in, right? God is saying they're like cigarette butts just kind of smoldering there. There's nothing there. Don't be afraid, Ahaz. Don't be afraid. King David actually speaks of a similar situation. In Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. In verse 3, this is what he says. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear the war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. Two guys, Ahaz and David, are both experiencing very real threats. David sees the threat. He assesses the problem. It's real. He's feeling the angst. And he goes, you know what? God is my light, 
God is my salvation. God is my fortress. I can run into him and find protection. I can be confident, which is a very different response to what Ahaz does. See, David knows that he can trust God. When things start to stir up inside of you and you find yourself waiting, waiting for that spouse, waiting for someone's life to change, waiting for that job, waiting for that house, waiting for that baby, waiting for whatever it is that you're waiting for. What are those emotions? What happens? Do you you continue to trust God? Or do you continue to worry, be afraid, run? What is your response? What Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz is God's assurance that our enemies will not win the day if he is on our side. So he goes to Ahaz, and this is what he tells him. Isaiah 7, verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God is saying your faith has to be something firm or your faith is absolutely worthless. Ahaz, what are you trusting in right now? See, at this moment, Ahaz has run to the Assyrian gods. Ahaz has made a deal with the Assyrian king. He is completely sold out, and God is coming to him. And he says, what are you trusting in right now? What are you trusting in, Ahaz? When, le- when life takes a sharp left turn, What are you trusting in? What do you run to? What do you start thinking about? What are the emotions and affections that get stirred up? What are the the decisions that you make? Who or what are you trusting in? God has sent a message. He says, what are you trusting in? Your faith. If it's not firm, if it's not really rooted and anchored in God, then it is worthless. But he's already formed an alliance with Assyria. He brought treasure from the temple of God. He brought gold and silver from that temple. And he offered it to the king of Assyria to make a deal. He's turned his back on God. And here God has coming to him. God has allowed Ahaz to get to this point to show him there's something going on in your life and I can provide it. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, "Mm, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? God is coming to him in, in showing grace and mercy and kindness towards Ahaz, reaching out a hand as Ahaz is about to go completely under. I mean, he's, he's going to be taken over. His back is against the wall. He's got nothing. 
And God is there saying, just ask for something. Just, just ask. Make a request. Blank check. Whatever you want, I'm willing to come and help you. And Ahaz puffs up his chest and says, you know, I'm such a spiritual person. I really just don't want to test God. He's a hypocrite because he's already turned his back on God. He's already sold out. God says, you know what? I'm going to make you an, oper- an offer. And Ahaz says, no, thank you. I'm good. Ahaz doesn't really worship God. He's just pretending. But God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign anyways. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. He says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you a sign, and the sign will be a child called Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a lot of discussion about what Isaiah is talking about, but if you keep reading into chapter 8, we also see that Isaiah has his own son. And so sometimes I think that we do people a disservice by simplifying the Bible or trying to simplify life. And what God is doing here is he's, he's really creating two promises. There's going to be a short-term promise and there's going to be a long-term promise. And in that short-term promise, he's saying, you can trust me. I'm going to fulfill this in the short term. And because I fulfill this in the short term, you can know I'm also going to fulfill this in the long term. I am going to send a son and his name will be Emmanuel. God will be with you, Ahaz. He's making a promise to the people of Israel. I'm going to be with you. You can trust me. And so Ahaz finds himself in the same place as many before where God has made these promises to Isaac, to Jacob. He's made promises to Moses. He's made promises that are going to come through in the New Testament. And the the idea is that God is trustworthy. See, the real reason Ahaz wasn't concerned with getting a word from the Lord, because he had already made a deal. He had already run to the king of Assyria for help. See, he robbed God to rescue himself despite God's promise of deliverance. He robbed God to rescue himself despite God's promised deliverance. He went somewhere else. Where is it that you and I go? I know when I was waiting for housing, it was hard. It was really, really hard. I was making a list of every single person I had contact. I was talking to friends, friends of friends, friends of friends of friends, people I had met on, people I had never even met on Facebook. I was asking for help. 
Like we were just exhausting all of our options. And I look back at my worry, and I look back at my angst, and that's what I was running towards. In that time of waiting, I was going to God, but I was working so hard to try to orchestrate things in my own power. Ahaz is trying to do things in his own abilities. In his moment of crisis, he chose not to believe that God was enough. So question of the day, where are you turning for rescue? Where do you guys turn for rescue? When the pressure from the outside begins to kind of cave in your world, or, or the pressure inside, all that turmoil begins to stir up. It's, it's cooking inside of you like a crock pot. Where do you turn to that release valve? When your marriage hits that crisis, when the finances seem upside down, when Christmas is only a few weeks away and you're trying to scramble, where do you run to? It might not even be anything sinful. You know, for, for some of us, it's just we're just binge watching Netflix or we're just diving into the black hole of social media, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, right? And next thing you know, hours have gone by. Or maybe for some of you, you just dive head into work. Instead of working 40, 50 hours, you're working 100 hours, not because you have to, but just that's where you find relief, is just escaping from everything else. Or maybe you're like me. You just run to ice cream, and you just want some Rocky Road ice cream at night. And it's not like a normal size bowl. It's like a, a heaping bowl, right? Or maybe it's a jar of peanut butter. I don't know what your thing is. But pay attention to those things or those places that you run to for rescue, that release valve that you begin to turn as pressure increases, as you wait, where do you run? Identify that. Pay attention to that. Because God is the only one who is good. He's the only one who can provide. He's the only one who will be enough for us. So the question is, where are you prone to run other than God? The story of Ahaz and the promise of Emmanuel is really a microscopic picture for all of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, what they're going to do and what they're going to go through. And there's so many times we look at their lives and we're quick to judge. We're quick to look at people like Ahaz. We're quick to look at the nation of Israel and go, Man, I can't believe they did that. Man, I can't believe they went there. Man, I can't believe they didn't believe God again. And so many times, I find that to be true of myself. As a pastor who loves Jesus, who believes he is good and believes he is enough, sometimes I have a spiritual amnesia and I forget about his goodness. And I begin to try to control and orchestrate things of the will of Tim, 
right? It's a really small kingdom that I try to run. The promise was made, but the waiting remained. The reality is, Jesus is not going to come for another 730 years. So we've been waiting months, maybe years, and Israel, the world at this point in time, is going to wait 730 years for Jesus to show up. And that's what we're talking about in this Christmas series. How do we wait well? Begin to fix our eyes on Jesus. We begin to remind ourselves of these promises. Look back and see all the promises that he has done and fulfilled in the past. He is good. The circumstances that God puts us in are really just the context for the journey of our hearts. The circumstances that he puts you and I in are really just the context that he uses to begin to shape and mold our hearts to the image of Jesus. And so oftentimes, waiting is not the obstacle. Waiting is the plan. That God is going to use that time of waiting to work in your life, to reveal some things in your own heart. He wants to use all things to shape and mold you and I to the image of Jesus. I believe the grand story of the Bible is about a God who has made a promise to rescue us. So waiting reveals our hope. It reveals where our hope is placed. So where's your hope placed? I know the Christian thing, the church thing, is, is to say Jesus, right? <clears throat> That's the canned Bible answer. But really, when you look at your life and you look at the pressures and you look at the tensions and you look at the waiting, where is your hope placed? Waiting reveals where our hope is anchored. While we wait for God to do good, our hope is anchored somewhere. It's either going to be anchored in Christ or it's going to be anchored in something else. And like, like we talked about at the very beginning, I'm not a fan of waiting. But have you guys ever been to Chick-fil-A? <clears throat> I know there's a Chick-fil-A in Dixon City, and I am so excited to go there. I'm convinced it's worth the drive. It doesn't matter what Chick-fil-A I go to, what state it's in, if you go around lunchtime, the line wraps all the way around the building. It's this gigantic line that goes a mile down the road, and you pull in, and it doesn't matter if there is three feet of snow, there is 15 people out there with iPads ready to take your order. They have a phenomenal chicken sandwich and the best lemonade ever. And their service is awesome. And so I don't mind driving into that drive-thru when it's five miles long because I know that Chick-fil-A is going to deliver a phenomenal sandwich and a great drink and awesome customer service. And if they mess anything up, they're going to fix it and probably give it to you for free. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> well, Pastor Tim said... And every time you talk to them and they thank you, they're, you thank them, they're going to reply with what? 
my pleasure, right? And I can drive up into that drive-through. I can wait because I know in the past, Chick-fil-A has always delivered, right? Chick-fil-A has always come through. And you guys have had experiences other places where you keep going to that restaurant or you keep going to that business or you keep going to that friend because every time you go there, they follow through, they do what they say they said they were going to do, and they deliver on their promise. And if we can trust a company, if we can trust a friend, if we can go to a place like Chick-fil-A, how much more can we go to the king of kings? How much more can we go to the God of the universe? Isaiah talks about God holds um, the whole universe in the span of his hand. We can trust him. We can go to him. Here's what Hebrews 9 says. As you wait on God, we ought to do what the author of Hebrews says. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So when you feel the pressure, flee and run to God. Take hold of that hope. Anchor yourself to him. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, the fulfillment of the promise that God would be with us. And so while we wait, fix our eyes on Jesus. As we were waiting for housing, we weren't sitting around hoping that someone would miraculously just text us or email us or call us. I mean, I kind of was. But waiting isn't always passive. Oftentimes, waiting is, I'm going to put my confidence in the promises of God, and I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to pray. I'm going to call. I'm going to text. I'm going to invite friends into the process. So waiting isn't always the obstacle. Waiting is often the environment or the context that God uses to work in our hearts. So when it seemed like nothing was happening for days or weeks or months, we chose to believe that God would provide. We chose that. We had to continually remind ourselves of that. And I believe that God is calling us to wait. Sometimes it's really, really difficult. I can't imagine what some of you have been waiting for, how you've been waiting for God to work in your life, but he knows how productive it can be. So as I wrap up, I challenge you with these two ideas. One, identify where you turn for rescue and flee to the Lord and acknowledge where's your hope really? Let me pray with you. God in heaven, you are absolutely amazing. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. God, we're thankful for what you've done. 
not just in the life of Israel, but in our lives too. We're thankful that you continue to deliver on those promises. And in your goodness and in your kindness, you are at work. And I ask that you would help us to wait well, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to run to you, to anchor our hopes in your promises, in your promises alone, and that if we are fixated on trying to control our own circumstances, we will cast those burdens onto you, and we will run to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.